You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Welcome to the RUV English podcast. My name is Darren Adam. Thank you very much for your company and thank you to my colleague for joining me today. This is Berta Björnsdottir, my colleague here at RUV, who is going to guide us through, well, it's more like the week and a half in Iceland, really, isn't it, Berta, for various reasons, since this last particular strand was on the RUV English podcast. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, for your time. One of the stories that we covered this week or in the last couple of days that has picked up a lot of attention is the idea of introducing parking fees at Jukulsaurlen uh, from June. So this is another very big tourist attraction which is going to have parking fees introduced. And I think for a lot of people in Iceland, it's it's still surprising that that's necessary or thought to be necessary, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This is not the first time this has come up, both in this place and on, on uh, many other popular tourist attractions. Uh, I think uh, it, it always the same happens all the time. Uh, the Icelanders who maybe live nearby or want to travel to their, you know, around their home home country are, you yeah. know, some get offended and say, I don't want to pay 500 Icelandic kroners just to see something that, you know, used to be for free. Yeah. But uh, then you can say, I mean, when you travel abroad, you know, no matter what, where that is, I mean, people obviously save some money to, you know, travel. And if you want have to pay, you know, a couple of dollars or a couple of pounds for, you know, seeing some tourist attractions, mm. I think mm. most people do it. And, you know, they... Well, I mean, the, the plan here seems to be that cameras are going to be installed in April, tested for a couple of months, and then there's going to be a fee regime from the start of June, which mm-hmm. is when people will start to be charged. And if you visit Skaptafell in the same 24-hour period as Jokos Arlen, then you'll get a 50% discount. And the fees don't appear to be massive in terms of what people are going to be charged, a 1,000 kroner mm-hmm. um, for a, a regular passenger car, which is about £6 sterling. Yeah. The justification that's being made is that the facilities have improved and will improve further, and yeah. that's going to cost money. Is that true, do you think? Do you think that, that this money is being used, will be used to make the facilities better for tourists? I should hope so. I mean, and of course, it can be justified because you want to come and see this beautiful nature and you want also, you know, you can come back in two years or, you know, recommend it to friends and they will get the same experience. If we don't, you know, pay anything and nothing is done to keep it, you know, nice and cosy, then obviously it's just going to be tramped down. So it's not going to be as nice if, you know, we don't have any facilities or anything, you know, to... uh, be able to welcome all these mm. all these but groups of people. I think some people maybe don't want facilities. I think back to the first time that we visited Thingvellir, which would have been in the late 1990s, and there was nothing there. It looked roughly as it would have done a thousand years ago, I guess. Yeah. Now, of course, there is a visitor centre and there's a shop and there are toilets and there are, I think, five different car parks at mm-hmm. Thingvellir, all of which costs money. And it costs money to park there as well. And I wonder whether that has changed, you know, for the better or for the worse, the essential experience of being in this national shrine, as Thingvetlir is. Is there a danger, do you think, that by installing these facilities for all of these visitors, you actually change the nature of the place? I think it varies, you know, how we do it. I I remember when I visited Yosemite Park in uh, the US a couple of years ago. 
uh, they, they have rules. I mean, they you have to you pay a couple of dollars to go in there, and you pay it happily. And uh, the facilities are, you know, the walking uh, paths, and you know there, there are toilets there, of course. But you know you don't see any McDonald's there or you know Starbucks or anything. They have rules about how. So I, I think it's very mm. different on how you apply the facilities. They can be, you know, flashlights of McDonald's, and they can also be, you know, you don't even recognize them, but you know you can't go to the toilet and you yeah, can't yeah, get information. Yeah. So I think it very it varies on how you do it. Yeah, you can yeah. do it well, and you can do it not so well. Gazier is somewhere else that I was recently again, which has changed, you know, dramatically over the years and my mother in the UK still has a photograph that I took she blew it up from um, from our first trip to uh, Yukosarlan which again was in the late 1990s and it is of those amazing blue colored icebergs and I was standing right on the edge with nobody else around pretty much taking that photo a few years ago we went back to Yukosarlan and this was in the middle of a blizzard there was snow battering down high winds really bad weather conditions. And even then you had to sort of fight to get to the edge because there were just so many tourists. I, I guess that's the problem with such a beautiful and interesting country is that people are going to want to visit it. And that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, but it's always a decision you have to make. I mean, you can't just say that, you know, we don't want any facilities, we don't want any, we want to get the you know, experienced, you know, rough nature. Mm. But then you, you know, travel with hundreds of thousands of people there, you know, each month. Th- something is going to give away yeah. if you do that. So you have to t- choose. Do you want to, you know, have X amount of people who can come every week, like some tourist attractions do uh, in the world? Do you want what kind of spir- experience mm. do you want them to have when they arrive? So I think you need to have a plan. Yeah. You know, some people are going to like the plan, and some people aren't. And you know, then you can choose what you want to do. But I think that has sometimes been missing here. You yeah. know, sometimes yeah, they want to charge. Yes, okay, but what's the plan? Talking of facilities in in previously quite remote areas, uh, and we've looked at this in the last couple of months with relation to the west of Iceland. The council in Langesbeth in northeast Iceland are now very worried about the lack of mobile and internet connectivity, particularly around the Hofuskarth mountain pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a road that's you know used again more than it was 20 years ago. There is no mobile phone coverage there. There's no data connectivity. That is obviously, as well as being convenient, it's potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Dangerous if somebody breaks down on that road. The council is saying that people are having to walk in terrible weather, perhaps fairly long distances to get to a landline phone. And as I say, similar concerns raised about the west of Iceland about a month ago on this. There are these significant black spots, aren't there? Yes, they are still are. And of course, you very much understand uh, the worries that people that live in the area have, of course, but also uh, connected to what we were talking about. I mean, this is a different country than it was 20 years ago. Mm. We have, Mm. you know, millions of people visiting. Not all of them are going to these places, obviously, but, you know, some of them are. And uh, due to safety and uh, Mm. getting information to people, this is very important. And this isn't just about or isn't even mainly about letting tourists update their Instagram. This is basic voice connectivity. This is being able to say, I've broken down, the weather is terrible, I need some help. Exactly. I don't think this is for influencers no. to be no. able to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not only. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, at, at the very least, that needs to be available, doesn't it? Basic connectivity yes. so you can pick up your phone and call the emergency services even if you need to. Definitely. The head of the council in uh, in this part of the world 
says this is very simple to solve. You just need to get a bulldozer up the mountain with some fiber optic cables. The problem is deciding who's going to pay for this. Mm -hmm. And so that problem comes up again and again, doesn't it? You know, we can see <laughs> what the answer is, but it's going to cost money. Yeah. Who, who pays the bill? It's a popular problem in many aspects. But uh, do you know, I mean, this, is it when people enter this area, do you know, is it, are there signs that, you know, for example, tourists or people who don't, you know, travel there often, yeah. do, they, do they know when they are there that, you know, you can't phone anyone I, if something comes up? Would that stop people, do you think? Mm, uh, I think most people maybe not, would probably just plough on and say, well, it'll be fine. I'm not going to break down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good point. Yeah. Well, the, the government in the area, local government, asking the Minister of Infrastructure and constituency members of Althingi to promote the safety of residents in the area by ensuring that this technology is installed, particularly around that mountain pass during this year. So, so whether or not the national government mm -hmm. and indeed the constituency MPs say, yes, we're going to do this is another matter, of course, isn't it? We just it don't is, know. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, let's move from there to uh, to Reykjavik, to the capital, where most dogs are illegal. Well, not quite. They're not. They've not been registered. This is the this is animal services mm -hmm. in in Reykjavik who who are struggling financially because they've worked out that most dogs in the capital are not registered with them, which means their owners aren't paying the fees. What, what do you think is is going on here? Are the fees too high? Why would so many dog owners not register their dogs? It's a good question. I'm a cat person myself. Oh, I have a cat, okay. yeah, and I'm they're for free, person. so yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I don't have to pay anything for my cat. She just runs around the city for free. Um, it's a good question of why people don't. I mean, I, I don't think that dog owners don't know that mm, they have to yeah. pay a fee. I, I think that, you know, they can't have that excuse, I think. Uh, maybe it's, you know, postponement. It is, okay, I'm going to do it next month or next week and I'm always on my way to do it. <laughs> I don't know how, you know, is it, should people be able, uh, when, when something comes up, I mean, if, if a dog bites someone and yeah, you don't have yeah. a dog registered, should there be any fees for people that, you know, don't apply to the rules, maybe? The point that animal services are making is that their services benefit everyone. So, for example, the money that they get is used for building kennels mm -hmm. for stray dogs, which means the stray dogs are off the streets and in the place of safety and yep. not causing causing a risk or unpleasantness to anyone else. So everyone, whether or not you're a dog owner, everyone benefits from the services. And not every, everyone's paying for the service, you mean? Yeah. Well, every, exactly. Everyone benefits. Yeah. But, but dog owners, I think, have that duty to not just to themselves, but to everyone mm -hmm. by funding this. And that, of course, I mean, it, like every other rule that societies uh, agree on. I mean, if you have to, if you want to have a dog, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, you should apply for the, sa the same rules. That Yes. I mean, the cost is, it's not insignificant. It's 15,700 kroner to register their dog. Mm -hmm. You can get a discount of 30% if you take your dog on a course, but the courses themselves are quite expensive. So, so maybe, and, and the fees have been reduced in the last couple of years, but maybe that is a barrier. Uh, for yeah, people. it can be. I mean, uh, but it's just a register register fee. I mean, you only pay it once, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. like one thousand kronos per month for a whole year or something. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it should be manageable. And I mean, dogs. Of I think most of the time cost money, the dog itself, and of course everything that goes with it. So I don't think that this fee is something mm. that you know. If you're all paid for the dog and all the food and, you know, the collar and everything that comes yes, to yeah. and, the, and the cage and, you know, whatnot. The country, I think, Iceland is is a perfect dog country. I've never quite understood that, well, particularly in the capital, of course, dogs but were not permitted for such a very long time. Mm -hmm. But this strikes me as a country that dogs would love 
there's all that space and all that fresh air. Exactly. So I, I've never quite understood why you know why Iceland is more, it seems to be more of a cat country than a it dog is, yeah. country. I think there are, it's increasing both. I mean, especially especially dogs. There yeah. are, are a lot of dogs more now in the capital than it was yeah, when yeah. I was growing up. Yeah. Well, I grew up with dogs in the UK, and we had Labradors, which I think are the very best of all the dogs. Yeah. And I have not, as an adult, owned a dog. It doesn't really fit with our lifestyle. But the reason that I could never be a dog owner is that I can't deal with picking up what they leave behind. Yeah, I see. <laughs> it, it makes me feel really queasy and ill. So I mean, the same would be true of, of cats as well. So so that's my main reason for not doing so. But yeah, it's, it just struck me that Iceland it feels like it should be a dog place, but really it's a cat place. Yeah, maybe it's got you know, changing into a dog place. <laughs> maybe that's changing. But how is it in the UK? Do you have to pay a fee for registering um, your dog? There was a dog license fee in the UK, <laughs> and it was uh, it was £10 a year which is, I think, about a tenth of what it'll cost you to register your dog in in, in Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. Before that, before it went to £10, it was 37 pence. Okay. And when I was a young child, I took on the responsibility of paying for the dog licence. And I, I took it very seriously. And once a year, I'd go down to the post office with my pocket money and I'd hand over the 37 pence. And I stopped doing it once it went up to £10. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and you got a bit of paper, a physical piece of paper that said, this is the name of the dog, this is the breed of the dog, and this is where the dog lives. So oh. there was a system in place. Okay. A dog license, it was called. Yeah. And, and I don't think there is... Uh, there is any more. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe that is something people would look at here nationally. Maybe, yeah. Dog license. Yeah. Maybe it's the mix of dogs and cats that leads Iceland to be the third happiest country yes. on earth, behind only Finland and <clears throat> Denmark. Those are the only other countries where you'll find bigger smiles on the faces yeah. of people. I think Finland is always on the top. Fin- Finland has been, I think, <laughs> the, the, the happiest country in the world yeah. forever. Yeah. This is the World Happiness Report, the latest from Gallup. Denmark in second place, once again, Iceland in third place. It is the Scandinavian, the Nordic nations that always seem to be right at the top of the table, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, they, they do. Uh, when you uh, uh, you know read the newspapers and follow on you know social media, you don't always get the impression that the Icelanders are the happiest people <laughs> on earth yes. among them. Uh, a lot of complaining about almost everything on Facebook and everywhere. But yeah, I mean, the statistics uh, talk for themselves. I mean, this is clearly the situation. I don't know why, but of course, we we don't have uh, so much to complain about once we compare ourselves to other nations. Dora Gudrun Gudnesdottir, who's director of the Department of Public Health at the Office of the National Medical Examiner, says the most important factor for being happy, social connections. Uh, And she makes the point that in a small society such as Iceland, obviously it's easier to make those connections, to build those relationships with people. Which I guess if that's true, it would mean that all small countries would be at the the top of the list. But of course, that's not true either when you dig into the data. So there's maybe that's part of it, but there's something else going on, I think. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it's a part of this mentality that are you know, everything's going to be okay. And uh, it usually is. It, it usually is in the <laughs> end, yeah. Maybe that's a part of it. So when you answer the survey, you just, yeah, sure, I'm yeah. happy. Yeah, whatever. It's going to yeah. be fine. <laughs> My other country, the UK, has slipped down the list okay. since I left. Oh, okay. Do you think maybe that's got something to do with it? I think it has to. I mean, and now you're here, I think we're going to be at the top next year. Finland in the second place. Yeah, well, one year Iceland is going to be at the top. I'll tell you what would probably make Iceland the happiest nation on earth would be a victory at the Eurovision Song. I was going to say the exact same thing. Do you think it's going to happen this year? 
I think it's possible. Okay. I think we've got a great entry. Yeah. I think it is one that Iceland seems to be getting behind. I think we do that almost tell. every year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that's it's, true. it's a great song, and I think to have that almost sort of drum and bass feel to mm-hmm. it is is kind of a novelty. Yeah. For Eurovision, and I think it's going to be a really, really interesting night. Yes, definitely. Um, do we know yet where Delia will will perform? Of course, we've got to go through the semi-finals yeah, first, yeah. haven't we, to, to find yes. out? Yes, and, yeah. and I don't know. She's on the Thursday, the 11th. Yeah. Uh, I think the only Nordic country which uh, in our category on this Thursday is Denmark okay. rather than Norway. Where are we going to have the contest next year when we win? When we win. It's a really good question. Maybe we can host it in Liverpool as well <laughs> <laughs> every year. <laughs> but now we have, of course, uh, Laureen from Sweden to compete. I think that's the biggest danger, isn't it? Yes. Well, this this is something I, I spotted when I came back from holiday. There'd been a flurry of excitement that Laureen, uh, the Swedish entry, who won with Euphoria, yes. I think, 10 years ago, is, is sort of nailed on favourite already. It she seems. was, <laughs> on, uh, before she won the finals at home, yeah. she was already, you know, in, uh, yeah, in, yeah. In the first place. It feels inevitable that we're going to end up talking about Eurovision, doesn't it, I suppose? It is, yeah. Maybe that's <laughs> what make, makes us so happy, like you mentioned. <laughs> well, let's let's see. I, I think a win would certainly move us into uh, into first place next year. Bitter, thank you very much indeed. Bitter Björnsdottir, my colleague here at Roof. Uh, we shall play out with a piece of music, not a piece of music from Eurovision. Before I do that, we should just say, actually, I think this is the first time on this The Week in Iceland strand of the Roof English podcast that we haven't mentioned the word strike. Ah, because that now, I don't want to sort of stir up the hornet's nest, but it does seem to be something that is now behind us. For with, now, with... for now. All right, we play out today with Snæfríður and uh, Lilies and my colleague Thorstein on uh, Raustvu says that this is the uh, song Lilies in collaboration being released with Banger Boy and Tak Yezu, uh, it must be considered a great debut, even though the performers are now no beginners in the profession. The song could be classified as progressive electronic dream pop, a bit like Charlotte Gainsbourg. It might not have been prominent in the Icelandic music scene, but it seems to be gaining traction. So lots of words about a piece of music that we're going to hear. This is Snæfríður and Lilies, and of course you can get in touch with the Roof English podcast and indeed the Roof English service anytime we are English at ruv.is
listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.